0: Well, I was um, a little amused to read the headline in the Daily Telegraph ten days ago, which said that there are now more taxes paid by savers than by sinners. And the story in the Telegraph was that for the first time, the taxes raised from investment, house buying, and inheritance tax are greater than those raised by the nation's smokers, beer drinkers, spirit drinkers, and cider drinkers. Mm. Well, I was amused merely because of the notion that the origin of sin can be found in a packet of Benson Hedges or a pint of Strongbow, and it struck me as a rather quaint notion, sin as something that we choose to do that isn't good for us, especially in excess, where it may impact others. It's one definition of sin, but it struck me one that falls rather short of the mark and probably rather a Middle England type of definition. Much more serious notions of sin have been centre stage this week with news covering the suicide bomb plans of Western-based jihadists, the sentencing of former TV personality Rolf Harris for a litany of sex crimes, and Andy Coulson for crimes against his own unwitting victims. And The focus in those serious crimes has been on Concepts of remorse and intent. Concepts of justice, prevention and victimhood. And for all the contemporary blurring of traditional moral notions that goes on these days, there remains quite a strong public consensus of what's right and wrong in cases such as those. And there remains a thirst for justice and for the restoration of victims. So, amidst all of that that goes on in our newspapers and on our television screens and in our daily lives, what can it mean that we as Christians believe in the forgiveness of sins? For that's what we declare in the Apostles' Creed, and that is therefore what we'll explore Today, we're in the 10th week of our series on the Apostles' Creed, that very early statement of what Christians believe. And we're delving into it because revisiting its words in the light of Scripture helps illuminate what's meant and what is not meant. So we can mean what we say. So what does it mean to believe in the forgiveness of sins? To believe in the forgiveness of sins well i mean i believe that eating five portions of fruit and vegetables a day would be good for practically anybody do i do it well sometimes i try i, I certainly try to i accept the theory and try to practice it believing in the forgiveness of sins though is a little different but has an important similarity Because with my five a day, there is the principle that it's good for me, which I accept, and the practice that I try to do it or fail to. I believe that the forgiveness of sins has a principle too. It's that God forgives anyone who says sorry and means it and intends to lead a new life in Jesus Christ. But there's also the practice. If I believe in the forgiveness of sins, then you'd surely know me as a person who is of extremely forgiving nature and forgives all others who sin against me. And we hear the echo of that two elements of it in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Our passages that we just heard echo those two aspects of forgiveness. God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. And in them we hear, we heard first from Ephesians, the big picture of how forgiveness fits into God's plan for us. And then in the parable, the individual detail of how we as human beings may or may not respond by showing a bit of mercy to others. So my talk's going to mirror those passages. First God's forgiveness of us, and then our forgiveness of others. Of all the lines in the Apostles' Creed, I would contend that this is the most challenging—not at a head level, not that it's difficult to understand or to believe in as a concept—but at a heart level. I mean, this finish, this service will finish at about just before 11 o'clock, around five to 11, or something like that. Within one hour of it finishing, I hazard a guess that nearly all of us will have had an opportunity to forgive another person or not. And some of us will be wrestling with this very weighty idea of forgiveness even as I speak. I mean, if you could hold that back to 11, that would be good as well, But um, so that you can hear what I've got to say. Because if you're anything like me, you often don't really forgive at all. Sometimes I say it's fine when it isn't. And sometimes I say it doesn't matter when I think it really does. Or I just shut out a person that's injured me and imagine I've forgotten them because I'm no longer trying to get my own back. Imagine I've forgiven them because I'm not trying to get my own back. Real forgiveness is much more like removing the barricades that we've put up that block a relationship and restoring things in a loving way. It's a deeply challenging concept, so I'm going to suggest we quickly pray for God's help with that. Dear Lord, as we come before you and seek to find out what it is that you want to say to us through these couple of passages, Lord, we pray that you'll give us wisdom in the speaking and the hearing, and the heart to grow in obedience and love of you. May your spirit be with us, we pray. Amen. So let's turn first, if we may, just briefly, to our first Bible passage from 1st Ephesians. It's on page 1173, 1173, because I'm just going to refer to a few verses from it. Um. oh there's also the yellow uh, sermon guide of course which is a very good summary of where I thought I was going with the sermon on Wednesday night but by, by God's grace it is actually where I am going so I mean even, even better so it retains its utility Okay, well, let's look up this uh, passage briefly. And in it, Paul is giving a tremendous summary of God's big picture for unblocking his relationship with all people of his creation, in other words, you and me. He's been sinned against. We know that through history and through our current actions, through disobedience. And yet has an amazingly generous plan, plan to put things right. Now, the underlying principle that runs throughout this passage which you won't spot until you've read it in about three or four times, necessarily, is that God forgives us because he loves us. He loves us in a way that a good father might love. And he wants to unblock our relationship so much that it's expressed as his desire to adopt us and to have us join his family and share in his inheritance. And we know but it's about his love, because it's there in the second sentence of verse 4. In those two words, in love. Now the whole of this passage rests for its meaning on those two words. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his own pleasures and will. All of this passage and its description of the benefits of being Christian, like being forgiven, stem from those two words. Even better in some other translations which say, because of love. So God is prepared to do anything to unblock our relationship with him, which is caused by sin, because he loves us. That's why. How does he do that? What's his plan for unblocking the gunged up sink or for taking down the wall? He does it through Jesus Christ. His grace is expressed in him. At the end of verse 6, he has freely given us that grace in the one he loves. And in the next verse, we are redeemed through his blood. So God loves us above all else and he's unblocked our relationship through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What does this mean for us? Verse 7. It means that we're redeemed and that our sins are forgiven. Unblocking has meant that our sins against God are cancelled out by the blood of Jesus. In fact, this, this Ephesians passage is a tidy little summary, if ever you need one, of some of the core of the Christian gospel. And it wouldn't make a bad creed all on its own. And it reveals God's gracious plan for us. So that's the why, the how, and the what. When did God plan all of this out for us? In verse 4, he chose this path for us before the creation of the world. In other words, sin and disobedience angered and disappointed God, but it was always his plan that we would need to be redeemed so that we might become his adopted sons and daughters. So, I just want to summarize this first part of the talk in this passage. Why believe in this forgiveness of sins? Because God loves us. And God's forgiveness has love at its source. His love was shown in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross by which our sins are forgiven, and our relationship with God is unblocked. And this all was a plan that God had for you and I from the very beginning. So, at a high level, that is God's story and our story. So when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, it's like saying, God had a plan to cancel my sin, which was motivated by love. And that plan was that Jesus would go to the cross And because he did that and was restored, so am I. I can believe in that. It worked. Let me give you a little example before we move on. In my home office, like probably quite a few of us, I've got a shredder, a shredding machine. I use it to shred things that are confidential or personal. And it's a very good shredder. It cuts them up into tiny, tiny pieces. And then every so often I empty these thousands of tiny bits of paper into the recycling bin. And once those bits of paper have been shredded, they can't be distinguished anymore or pieced back together again. They're lost. In our story of God's forgiveness, our sin is like those thousand bits of paper efficiently disposed of, incapable of being reassembled. It's a bit like God has given us a shredder as a means of dealing with our sin in giving us Jesus Christ and his cross. But there is a bit of a limitation in the illustration because I don't regularly give thanks to Staples office equipment for the provision of my shredder. But I should not be blasé about God and God's means of dealing with my sin. Quite the reverse. And once the thousand little bits of paper are in the bin, I forget about them. Yet, when I'm forgiven by God in that way, I should not forget So believing in God's forgiveness and the love that is at its source also means saying thank you. It means never taking it for granted. It means learning our lessons. It means trying to make sure the shredder doesn't run quite so hot in future. Just because we're forgiven can't make us forgetful. Let's be restored and remembering. So, love is at the source of God's forgiveness. Love might also be at the center of our response to that love. Which leads me to the second part of the talk. that Where we start considering human forgiveness as both a struggle and a gift. How are we to respond, indeed, to the forgiveness that we've received? And our second Bible passage, that lovely parable for the unmerciful servant, makes that perfectly understandable. So I think it would just help if I very, very quickly proceed that parable again for us. Right. So very quickly. A king wanted to settle his accounts with all of his servants. One servant owed him millions of pounds, which he couldn't pay back. So the king wanted everything that the servant had as a down payment. It would mean the end of his marriage, family, home, and all possessions. So he pleaded for mercy. And the king took pity. He cancelled the debt and let him go. A very lucky servant walked out feeling absolutely full of himself. And he came across a colleague, a fellow servant, who owed him a fiver. He demanded repayment and was deaf to the colleague's cries, cries for mercy. In fact, he had him tossed into jail. Witnesses went and told the king Because they were worried. The king was furious, called the lucky servant back and reprimanded him. I cancelled a debt worth millions, and you couldn't find it in your heart to forgive a father. And he brought the full force of judgment on him. That was the parable. So how would we respond? What meaning might we take out of that very straightforward parable? As we are forgiven by God, so we are to forgive others. And God's forgiveness, we've heard, is like a shredder on overtime, deaths of millions that we've mounted up are being scratched out, and yet those hurts that we receive, we should it should be easy, shouldn't it, to find it in our hearts to forgive those things. It sounds straightforward. So why is forgiveness so difficult? Why when someone hurts us or keeps on hurting us or we're the victim of grave injustice, is it so difficult to really forgive? I mean, if we really believe in the forgiveness of sins, it should be easy, but it's not. I'm not going to suggest I know the answer to all of those questions. But I do want to recognize a few things before us this morning. Why? Forgiveness is a struggle. First, all of us sometimes deny that we owe God very much at all. The concept that he's forgiven us, millions of pounds worth, equivalent worth of sin, is something that isn't always easy to recognize. Because compared to some of the crimes that we hear about in the news or the misdemeanors in our local community we often feel as though we're leading more or less decent lives. And okay, there are times when we've had to call on God's forgiveness, but we haven't given him great calls. In other words, we get a bit proud. And when we're proud, that whole equation of a million against a fiver no longer works. Because if you feel as though you've been forgiven for only five pounds and forgiving another for the same, Still seems like a big deal. That's one reason why forgiveness is difficult. Second is the hard reality that sometimes the sins that are committed against us or the injuries that we receive, rather, can add up to an awful lot more than five pounds. It's not wrong to say that because sometimes that is part of our story. And God knows that. We struggle to forgive because we don't know where to start. Or even whether starting is something that we want to do or could do. If that's you, you might want to look at a helpful book that I've come across. The book of Forgiving by Desmond and Mpo uh, Tutu which is about family and national forgiveness. Provides some place to start looking, and if that interests you, have a word with me at the end, and I'll get a copy for you. But a third reason why forgiveness is sometimes difficult is when we're like the co-worker who looked at the lucky servant, and who saw the massive debt that he'd had waived, yet he remained at heart hearting hard-hearted on trifling matters. Sometimes that might be people's experience of us, of Christians, or of those who pay lip service to belief in the forgiveness of sins. I mean, if we were being held to ransom for a debt of five pounds by a Christian, how could we believe in a God that claims to forgive millions? So our behavior is important. Or sometimes our sins may seem to us so great, so overwhelming that we can't believe that God would be so gracious as to offer us a fresh start. But the Jesus parable places no limit on that forgiveness. Now you yourselves may be in none, one or all of those places that I've described, struggling with forgiveness in all sorts of ways. Everyone has a different experience. And it can be a journey that's very far from cozy. But requiring brutal honesty of ourselves and of others. It can benefit from the remorse of another, but can be effective without it. So why, if forgiveness is so difficult, why should we believe in the forgiveness of sins and carry out that practice of grace? Well, I think it's because our forgiveness of others is a gift that only we can choose to give and makes a huge difference. Gifts might be free to receive but costly to give. So why give forgiveness to others and believe in its power? I'm just going to draw together and conclude by giving you a few reasons why. First for ourselves. Forgiving a hurt that's been done to us makes us free and gives us peace. Without forgiveness we become incredibly burdened. We erect so many walls in our lives, block so many sinks and keep count of so many IOUs, that we become unable to operate as a loving person. Because there are too many places we can't go, too many people that we need to avoid, and so much stored up pain in our heart, that our heart breaks under the strain. So costly though it is, removing bricks does free up paths. Unblocking sinks does allow water to flow. And shredding IOUs does lighten what we carry. Our forgiveness is a gift to ourselves. Second, it's a gift to others. Forgiving a hurt done to us shows others that our Christian faith is not just about doctrine, but about practicing grace. Unless we forgive five pounds, how can we point to Jesus Christ? What does Easter mean if we hold on to debts we could easily waive? Our forgiveness is a gift to others. And our forgiveness is a gift that glorifies God. It reflects his greatness in our tiny acts. It removes a brick in the wall that we built between him and us. And it responds to his love by loving another of his adopted sons and daughters. And it builds not walls, but a kingdom of his design. Our forgiveness is a gift of love Return to God through Jesus Christ. So, just to finish, I wonder if someone now asked you what it means when you say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, I wonder what you'd say. I've tried to help a bit by uncovering what I think God says in those two pieces of Scripture. That God forgives us because he loves us. He wants us to be part of his adopted family that communion of saints, holy and blameless in his sight. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was his means of forgiving us, costly though it was. But as Jesus was restored, so are we. And as we are forgiven, so we forgive others. Our forgiveness may be a simple debt that we cancel, or it might be a lifetime's journey we need to make, where even the first step is a struggle. God knows the cost to us. And yet, forgiving frees us, it gives us peace, and points others to a merciful God, bringing him glory. Well, it's hard to believe in something if we've never experienced it. And we're going to. Get the chance, perhaps, to reflect on some of these things in the remainder of our service shortly. And in that time and the time that follows in your day and week, I'd urge you to reflect on the forgiveness that you've received from God and give thanks for it. Enjoy the freedom that it provides and relish the restored relationship. Sense the hope he's given. And secondly, to reflect on the forgiveness that you can give, you only. And to give it or consider a first step. And enjoy the freedom that gives you. Relish the potential to restore a relationship. And acknowledge the hope that it gives you and others through Jesus Christ.